This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, let's uh, let's begin. The Torah tells us, Psalm When you come into Eretz Yisrael, there is a concept of appointing a king. It's a machlokas rishonim. Is it a mitzvah or is it a concession? But certainly, the pasuk tells us you should appoint upon yourself a king. And thus, as the kingdom explains, what that means is. Once you appoint a king, you must treat him with great respect, reverence and respect, treat him with honor. Many things you can't do in front of the king. You can't sit in his chair. You can't call him by name. And this is the honor that's accorded to the king. But the Torah also says three things. He shouldn't have many horses. He shouldn't have many wives. And the kesev is of and he shouldn't have much gold and much silver. And Adonis Canaan explains that each of these issues, the Torah tells us why the king shouldn't have it. Because as the Torah says, he shouldn't bring back the Bnei Yisrael to Mitzrayim, the Arabian horses. Mitzrayim apparently was a place of breeding horses. And the Torah is afraid that if he has too many horses, he'll go back to Mitzrayim to get more. He shouldn't have too many wives because... Wife could pull away the heart of the king, as we saw by Shlomo Melech. And Kesev is of Why shouldn't he have much gold and much silver? And explains Das Kingdom. That's what the Pusik says. So his heart does not become arrogant. If he has too much wealth, he'll be arrogant, he'll become conceited. And the Torah says he shouldn't have too much money. And if you think about this Das Kingdom, this is very difficult to understand. Why? Because again, we are obligated to treat the king with honor. And we're not afraid that he's going to be conceited. But if he has too much money, all of a sudden, I'm afraid he's going to become a Balgaiva. But just so you appreciate the question, the Rambam explains what you're allowed and not allowed to do in front of a king. It explains the Rambam, any individual, it can be the greatest Tamachacham, it can be a Novi, who walks into the chamber of a king, must bow down full face to the ground. No person is allowed to sit in the presence of the king. Additionally, the king has to guard his covet. He's not allowed to be mochel. He's not allowed to give up on his covet. He is not allowed to stand up for any man in public. He's not allowed to use any title of honor for any other person. And more than that, if a king commands someone to do something as small as leave the room and the person refuses, it is within the king's right to end that person's life. The king has to be makbid on his covet. He's not allowed to give in at all on his honor. So here's the question. Clearly, the Torah says you must treat the king with tremendous honor. And we're not afraid that he's going to become conceited. Why? Because he understands the honor is not due to him. The honor is due to the position. It's not you as the individual. It's you sitting on the seat of monarchy. And we respect the institution, not necessarily the individual. So that he's able to not become conceited. So here's the question. Why then, if he has too much kesev of too much gold and silver, also meaning a great honor he could handle, that won't make him arrogant, but give him a couple of bucks and forget it, he's going to become a balgaiva? It sounds very difficult to understand. If he could withstand the tremendous honor and not become conceited, why would money make him an arrogant person? What is pshat over here? And to understand the answer to that, we need to dig into this very much misunderstood midah called arrogance. Now, when you see an arrogant person, you recognize him. You see a conceited, bombastic individual. You know full well what you're looking at. 
But what is gaiva? What is arrogance? If I ask a person to define it, to explain it, typically it's very elusive and very difficult to explain. So let's dig in a little bit as to what exactly the midah is, what causes it, the pathology, the states of disease, and let's see if we can better understand it. Let's begin with a very basic definition. And Sula Sharm explains that arrogance is an internal state of a feeling of I'm chashuv, I'm important, I'm worthy of praise, I'm worthy of honor. More than anything, I'm superior. I'm above you. I'm better than you. There are various people, various classes. I'm just a better sort of person. I'm higher, I'm greater, I'm bigger. The opposite, humility is a recognition that praise and honor isn't due to me. Surely not to be lording it over anyone else. But if you want to know the essence of arrogance, the essence of arrogance is a feeling that I'm better than you, I'm above you, I'm superior to you. And you have to understand that it's a relational mida. You see, if I lived on a deserted island, I couldn't have arrogance. Arrogance is always vis-a-vis other people. I lord it over someone else. And we don't like to admit it, but we are very, very judgmental. And we're always sort of placing ourselves. Am I above him, better than him, not as good? Where do I fit? Arrogance is a sense of superiority, being better, being above. But let's understand how it manifests itself and how it develops And let's sort of study the disease state, the pathology. Let's see if we can better understand it. So Masil Sham explains to us that any myla, any quality, any characteristic, any positive trait, anything that is within that category can cause a person to become arrogant. And it can be any sort of source. It could be intelligence, it could be strength, beauty, talent, charisma. Explains Masil Sham, the minute that a person thinks that he has some positive trait, quality, characteristic, automatically he's in danger of becoming arrogant. But here's the point. Having the attribute is not arrogant. And even knowing that you have the attribute isn't arrogant. Let's say your name is Ramosha Feinstein, and someone asks you, do you know how to learn? And you say no. That's not called humility. That's called falseness. It's sheker, meaning to say, If you are a highly intelligent person, understanding, recognizing that you are highly intelligent is not arrogance. The trait isn't arrogant. And knowing that you have the trait isn't arrogance. It's the step after. Because of that, I feel superior. I feel above. It's that state of mind that causes the problem. And let's sort of study how it manifests itself and how it really lays out. So let's imagine the following case. Let's imagine I'm a plain vanilla guy, regular, nothing fancy, run-in-the-mill, absolutely ordinary, and I have no gaiva in me whatsoever. Okay, I get a phone call that my great uncle passed away, and the shiva, the uh, burial is going to be in such and such place. Now, I haven't seen him since my bar mitzvah, but listen, you know, uh, it would be covered in mace, so I go to the funeral. Okay. At the funeral, a very well-dressed man comes over to me and says, that was your great uncle that died, right? I say, yes, it's true. And he says, well, I was a lawyer for your great uncle. Here's my card. I want you to call me tomorrow. Okay, I go home, and I am a bit curious. So the next day, I call this lawyer. 
He asked me to come down to his office. I sit down. And he says, you know that your uncle never got married. I said, no. He never had children. He had almost no living relatives. As a matter of fact, you're the closest living relative, and you are the one who are the one to inherit his entire estate. And I would like you to know that your great uncle left an estate worth $125 million. Whoa! Suddenly, I have now acquired a vast amount of wealth. Now, at this point, I'm not arrogant. I and the money are completely separate. I'm the same guy I was before. I'm the same person with a little bit more money, but I am not arrogant. I haven't changed. I am identical. But then a funny thing starts happening. You know, people start treating me with great respect. Suddenly they start asking me my opinion. Suddenly I get aliyahs in shul. And suddenly I begin to realize, you know something? Uh, I'm not just a regular guy. I'm a, I'm a rich man. I am a rich man. And I begin identifying with the attribute. You see, as long as I and the attribute are separate, I possess the money. There's no arrogance. But the first stage in becoming arrogant is where I identify with the attribute. I am a rich man. And now that I am a rich man, suddenly I feel different. You know, it's okay for you to wear that kind of clothing because you're a regular person. But me, I'm a rich man. It's okay for you to drive that kind of car because you're a regular person, but I'm a rich man. It's okay for you to fly economy class, but I am a rich man. And suddenly I recognize that there's a lot of things I shouldn't do, a lot of things I should do because I'm different than you. And that is the first stage of arrogance where I identify with the Milo, with the attribute, I become the rich guy. Okay. But still, we're not in the throes of tremendous arrogance yet. I feel a little bit superior, a little bit above, but I'm not in deep trouble yet. It's the next stage where things begin to really, really get difficult. You see, I begin to think about it a little bit, and I realize that, you know something? Because I'm a rich guy, I really am deservant of being treated differently. I'm not like you, and I really am deservant of honor and covered and, you know, something... Uh, I really am a very important person because I'm rich. I deserve to be treated different than everyone else. I feel different than everyone else. And suddenly I have this sense of I am chashuv, I am important. And now I went to the next level of arrogance where I become chashuv because of the attribute. And then the third level of arrogance is where I don't even need the attribute it's not because I'm rich that I'm chashev. I am a very, very prominent person. I am very weighty and mighty. My opinion matters. Do you know who I am? And you know how important I am? Do you know how above everyone else I am? You see, it starts with I and the attribute being totally separate. And at that stage, there's no arrogance. But then I identify with the Mila. I am the rich man. And now I have to feel different. I act different. And the next stage is where because I have this wealth. I am deserving of praise and honor. I'm deserving of being treated differently than you. And the fourth stage gets to the point where I am chashuv in and of myself. I don't even need the money. I was a fan of Muhammad Ali as a kid growing up, but Muhammad Ali was a great boxer. But as a human being, he wasn't, uh, I wouldn't call him the height of humanity. In any case, Muhammad Ali was once interviewed 
and uh, about the importance of boxing in his life. And he said, boxing, boxing weren't nothing. And boxing was just a way of introducing Muhammad Ali to the world and the world to Muhammad Ali. Now, I would like you to understand that if it weren't for boxing, Muhammad Ali probably would have been working in McDonald's. He had a 78 IQ. But he became world famous because of that. But he became so inflated, so self-important, that it was no longer even relevant. I don't need the boxing. I myself, I, the great Muhammad Ali, am deserving of praise and honor. And that is the fourth stage of Gaiva, where I am Khashiv. I don't even need the attribute. I myself am Khashiv. Now, let's do a little bit more work so we can understand this trait a little bit better. Again, Masilla Sharm told us that any positive attribute, any good trait, any good characteristic could potentially lead a person to arrogance. But there are really four different categories of things that will lead a person to arrogance. Let's start with the first. The first is talent. If you are a very handsome person, very charismatic, maybe you're a great salesperson, maybe you sing very well, any talent that you have, as long as it remains outside of you, you're humble. The minute it becomes a something that you identify with, suddenly you're in danger of becoming arrogant. So let's see how this becomes arrogant, and let's see whether it's solvable or not. So let's imagine for a minute I sing well. I mean, I sing beautifully. I make Yako Shweki look like a ham sandwich. I'm incredible. Okay. Now, again, I get up there on stage, and people swoon, and people, again, if the attribute and I are separate, that's not arrogant. Knowing that I have a talent isn't arrogant. It's when I begin identifying with the talent. It's when I feel I'm a great singer. I'm worthy of praise and honor. I'm different than everyone else. I'm above everyone else. And that's when it gets trouble. But that issue is easily solvable. If you'd like to solve that problem, I have a very simple antidote. All you have to do is remember one thing. This gift has been given to me. I did not weave the skin on my face. I did not create the vocal cords. I didn't create the sinus cavities. I don't even know how to make a voice. So as long as I recognize that this is a gift given to me, there's no arrogance because I and the attribute remain separate. It's talent alone from God. I can be the greatest basketball player in North America. That's true. If it's true, that's not arrogant. But as long as I remember that it's a gift given to me, talent alone from God, there's no arrogance. So the first area of talent is easy enough to solve. The second area that causes a person arrogance is when they feel they have power or control. I'm in charge. I can determine people's fate. I'm the mayor. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. That is a situation that could easily lead a person to arrogance, but that too is easily solvable. If you're ever feeling you're powerful, ever feeling that you really can control people's destiny, I have a very simple Musr exercise. Envision that you're crossing the street and you get hit by a Mack truck. The big, powerful me, mighty me who's in full control will hopefully survive, hopefully only spend six months in very painful rehabilitation, and hopefully will one day walk again. And when you realize that the big, powerful me is not so powerful, not so in charge, and one little 
lone microbe, and suddenly the big powerful me is sick in bed. And one pathogen, and suddenly corona takes over, and the big powerful me suddenly isn't so big and so powerful. So if the issue is power and control, again, the solution is to just think a little bit and recognize I'm not in control, I'm not exactly powerful, I'm but a weak mortal human being. The third area that could lead a person to arrogance is fame and honor. My name is in the newspapers, and my face is up there on the billboards. I am famous. Now, that is a little bit more difficult. Why? Because it's very, very real. It's very, very, um, it almost speaks to neshama. And it really is a more difficult test. And if you're having a challenge with that as an issue, also, I believe it's easily solvable. If you feel that you're famous and you're a person who's getting too much honor, I have a very simple thing to realize. Ask yourself the following question. Find me the famous people from 50 years ago. Who was the mayor of New York City 50 years ago? Who was the richest man in the country 50 years ago? Who won the Nobel Prize in math 50 years ago? As a matter of fact, who was the president? Was it was it Nixon or he, was it Agnew at that point? Was it was it uh, Kennedy died or wait, who? And if you realize that people who lived fifty years ago, who were world famous, are unknown now, you quickly realize your fame and honor is fleeting, is passing. Today they sing my praises, tomorrow they forget my name. And if fame and honor is a challenge, again, I think there's an easy enough solution, and that is to just recognize. That people 50 years ago, surely 100 years ago, were world famous. No one even knows who they are. And with all of your fame, with all of your honor, by tomorrow, they're going to forget who you are. So these first categories, talent, power and control, fame and honor are solvable. But there's one other thing that could cause a person to be arrogant, and this is a lot more difficult. And that's when a person has wealth. You see, wealth is in a total different category. Because when I'm really wealthy... And there's a sense of independence. I don't need anyone. I could buy and sell the city. I don't need my kids. I don't need my wife. I don't need God. And that sense of independence is a very, very great temptation to arrogance and a very difficult temptation. And I believe that's exactly what the Dasakanim is telling us. A king can be treated with great accord and great honor, and he won't become conceited. He can recognize the honor is not to me, the honor is to the chair that I occupy. I am the king, not because I did anything, not because I'm smart. I was put here by God, and the honor is given to the position. That won't make him arrogant. But if he acquires too much wealth, that sense of independence, that sense of I don't need anyone, I don't need my squires, I don't need my army, I can buy and sell them, that sense of independence is so alluring and so seducing that even a king will not be able to resist it. Says the Torah, Kesev Ma'od, and that one he can't quite possibly withstand. Honor maybe, but great wealth is a much greater test. And I believe that this concept is very, very applicable to us. And I'll explain to you why. As I mentioned a number of times recently, in the course of history, there's never been a generation that enjoyed such wealth such material possessions, such opulence. In the history of mankind, no generation has had this much ashiras, plain, simple richness. 
And if you say to me, huh, that's true, but I'm not rich compared to many other people, I think then you're misunderstanding what arrogance is. Arrogance is a relational mida. You see, it may be true that I'm not richer than Jeff Bezos. It may be true that I'm not richer than Bill Gates, but I'm richer than you. And the minute I have more money than you, suddenly I'm above you. I'm better than you. I'm superior to you. And you know, like the, uh, I'm the strongest kid in the second grade who wears glasses and is left-handed. It doesn't matter. You could have two nickels to your name. If there's somebody else who has one nickel, I can feel a sense of arrogance. I can feel a sense of importance. And it is a very, very great seducing element. And I believe it is a real issue to think about and to dwell on. Masulah Sharm explains to us, Kiteva Leva Adam, the nature of man's heart is Lazuch Ulisnase, to become proud and overbearing. It's within our nature. It's instinctive to the human to feel arrogant. If you don't catch yourself, if you don't guard yourself, it's just natural that you're going to become proud and overbearing, conceited. And when you live in a time when there's this much wealth, and it's almost impossible that you're not going to have some excess and have something more than somebody else. That is an issue to be aware of and something to be careful about. But here's the question. Okay, let's say you become a little arrogant. So I got a dollar more than the guy next to me, and I feel I'm a big shot. So what? What's so bad? So I'm arrogant. So what? What's so terrible? Okay, so if you'd like to know what's wrong with arrogance, number one, being in the company of an arrogant person is a misery. It is absolutely the most disgusting. Everyone hates the Balgaiva. He's impossible to live with. Everyone's always stepping on his toes. No one's giving him enough honor. He's always, feathers are always ruffled. And it is a misery to be a Balgaiva, and it's a misery to be married or a child or around an arrogant person. But there's a lot more wrong with it. You see, we were put on this planet to grow and accomplish. If I'm so great, what do you mean grow? I am great. I don't make mistakes. I don't do things wrong. I am Mr. Perfect. I am great. What do you mean do tshuva? Tshuva for what? I don't sin. A person of my greatness sins. How? What makes you think that? And it is the single greatest obstacle to growth. Because if I don't have areas to grow in, and I don't have flaws, what am I going to change? What am I going to accomplish? What am I going to do? I've already arrived. But there's another problem with arrogance that really cuts a lot deeper than these first two. You see, you can have a fierce temper and still be an Ever Hashem. You can still serve Hashem. You have a flaw, but you still could be a servant of Hashem. You could have a jealous streak within you, and you could be an Ever Hashem. You could have taiva, you could have desire, you could have laziness. You could have every media and still be in the category of an Ever Hashem, servant of Hashem. But you cannot have arrogance and be an Eved Hashem. And I'll explain to you why. Certain relationships are interdependent. One requires the other. To be married, you have to have a spouse. If you have a spouse, you're married. If you don't have a spouse, you're not married. And to be a parent, you have to have a child. If you have a child, you're a parent. If you don't have a child, you're not a parent. And so too, to be a servant, you have to have a master. And if you have a master, you're a servant. And if you don't have a master, you're not a servant. But you see, here's the problem. 
Arrogance is the mid of oddness, superiority, lording it above others. I am superior. I am great. I am, what do you mean I have a master? What do you mean Hashem is my master? I am the master. I am important. And if you'd like to understand the real danger of arrogance, the minute I have arrogance within my heart, I'm throwing off Hashem as my master. I'm throwing off Hashem as the one in charge. I'm in charge. I determine my fate. I'm significant, mighty, weighty, and important. And you cannot have gaiva in your heart and be an Eved Hashem. As the Chavaz of Ovis explains to us, the two are absolutely dependent. To be a master, you have to have a servant. To be a servant, you have to have a master. The minute you have this midah of arrogance in your heart, you're adopting the midah, the character traits of Hashem, the character traits of the master, and you're throwing off the yoke of heaven. And what you're doing is you're totally leaving the category of being an Eved Hashem. So here's the problem. We live in a generation where Baruch Hashem is such wealth. And it's very easy for a person to have a sense of superiority. We all have talents and abilities, whatever it may be, one person in this area, one person in that area. And the Mishra Hashem told us that it's the nature of man's heart to be proud and arrogant. And we know how dangerous arrogance is. So what what am I going to do? How do I deal with this issue? And I'd like to share with you that there is one perspective that I believe helps for all of these issues of arrogance and will help you grow in many areas in life. And to understand this perspective, let's take a step back for a minute. I'd like to ask you the most famous contradiction in this area and one which most people cannot answer. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a little challenge. After the share tonight, go over to a friend of yours, whether they're learned or not learned, and ask them this contradiction and see if they can answer the question. Here's the contradiction. The mission in Sanhedrin says, Hashem created one man alone. Why? So that every man should know that Hashem felt it's worthy and appropriate to create an entire world, an entire cosmos for one man. Hashem created Adam Rishon alone as one man, so that every person after him should see Hashem made the sun, the moon, the stars for one man, and a person should then recognize that I too am a person. And therefore, it's worthy for Hashem to have done that for me as well. But listen to how the Mishnah concludes. <clears throat> Every human being is obligated to say, Every human being created is obligated, not optional, obligated to say the words, Hashem would have created the entire world for me and me alone. Now here's the problem. That does not sound very humble. It does not sound very, very meek, timid, and bold to say, Hashem would have created the whole world for me. Now, make up my mind. Am I supposed to think that Hashem created the whole world for me, or am I supposed to be humble? Am I supposed to be this great, enormous person, or am I supposed to be a worm? Which one is it? You can't tell me to be arrogant enough to say, Hashem would have made the whole world for me, and also be humble at the same time. That sounds like an overt contradiction. How are you supposed to have an appreciation of godless Adam, the greatness of a human, and also remain humble at the same time? And I'd like to share with you the answer to this question. The answer to this question is a muscle. Imagine that you go to a very large construction site. And in the middle of the construction site, you see this huge crane. And this crane lifts up tons and tons of dirt and rocks and moves it over. 
And all day long, you see this crane moving tons and tons of dirt, okay? And you notice that the crane operator is sitting there, and a crane operator has a pot belly, chain-smoking cigarettes, and his friend goes over to him at the, during a break and says, Joe, look at you, 100 pounds overweight, chain-smoking. Joe, you got to get to the gym. you got to work out. Stop this. Joe looks at his friend and says, me work out? <laughs> what do you think I do all day? I lift tons and tons of dirt and rock, move it all day long. I don't got to go to the gym. I'm working out all day. His friend says, Joe, that's not you. That's the crane. That, I believe, is a perfect muscle to explain this concept. And you see, when I walk into the room, I'm supposed to recognize that I was created in the image of Hashem. Hashem would have created the entire world for me and me alone. So therefore, is honor worthy? am I worthy of honor? No, the answer is I'm the little guy inside. I didn't make the brain, I didn't make the arms, I didn't make the, the legs, the head. I was put into this body. I'm the little guy inside who moves the levers and suddenly these great things happen. But I have to recognize both realities. And when I say words, they're powerful, they're impactful. I can change other people's lives, I can change my life. I can change the destiny, I can do tremendous things. And I was granted such power. But I'm the little guy inside. I didn't make my arms, I didn't make my head, I didn't make my leg. I'm Joe the crane operator. And when I move these levers, tremendous things happen. A human being speaks, a human being does things. So the credit comes to me, not exactly, because I didn't make this crane. I operate the crane, the crane is mighty, and I'm the little guy inside. And when you understand this, you understand the great dilemma. How is it possible to understand that Hashem would have made the whole world for me and not be arrogant? The answer is very simple. And because Hashem gifted me with this mighty thing called being a human being and put into this position of power and importance, I can do tremendous things. But I'm the little guy inside. I didn't weave the 100 billion neurons of the brain. I didn't create the body. I'm the little guy who moves the levers. The crane does tremendous things. So am I great or my small answers? I'm both. The crane that I operate is tremendous. And it can do tremendous things. And yet I'm the little guy inside. And this, my friends, is something called a balanced self-esteem. You see, everyone gets this wrong, both the Balgaiva as well as the person with the destroyed self-image. The Balgaiva sells himself so short. And find me the most arrogant person in the world. Find me Napoleon. Find me a Nuzaradan. Find me the truly Balgaiva. I guarantee they didn't have an inkling to their real importance. The mission didn't say you're worthy to be a king. Hashem didn't say, think about the fact that Hashem would have made a whole country for you. Hashem would have made the sun, the moon, the planets, everything for you and you alone. The biggest Balgaiva in the world, Paro, in his height of arrogance, did not have that sense of importance. And I'm supposed to recognize that and understand that, and at the same time not be arrogant. Why? Because I was gifted with this. I had to make the brain. I had to make the body. I'm the guy inside. I'm Joe, the little guy inside, and moving the levers. This crane does tremendous things. And Hashem would have made the whole world for this crane. But how much credit is due to me? How much honor is due to me? The answer is none, because I'm the little guy inside. I make the right choices. Hashem gives me, pretends as if I made those outcomes. I control no outcomes. Hashem controls every outcome. And if I make the right choices, Hashem considers it as if I did it. That's a gift. The body is a gift. Life is a gift. The outcomes that happen have all been predetermined by Hashem. Yet I'm gifted with the results as if I did it. So I'm supposed to recognize a tremendous opportunity of life and a tremendous 
magnitude of what it be, means to be alive, what it means to be a human being, and at the same time, I'm supposed to remain very, very humble. But you see, it's not a destroyed self-image. It's not a who am I, when am I, I'm a nobody and nothing, what could I do? And that's not a Torah concept. Because the Mishnah says, I'm obligated to understand my importance. I'm obligated to recognize who I am. And as a matter of fact, the Chovos of Office explains, and before you work on humility, you have to recognize the tremendous importance of a human being. Before you become humble, you have to recognize how great you are. So, so I'm great? The answer is, I was gifted with this greatness. But I have to recognize the power of this crane, tremendous opportunity and tremendous accomplishments, and not be arrogant because I'm but the little guy inside. And if you're ever having an issue of dealing with either sense of it, because everyone has it on one side or the other, and this muscle is the way to properly put into perspective. I cannot tell you how many times I've dealt with people on opposite perspectives, opposite sides. I was a high school Rebbe for many years, and I remember it didn't happen exactly like this, but something like the following. A guy would ask me to speak, so I'd tell him, come to the house Monday night, and we'd sit down and talk, and he would say, you know, Rebbe, I'll tell you, you know, I, I just... Um, I just feel I'm not talented, I'm not, I'm not smart, I'm not good. And look at the guy, he's the smartest guy in the year, super talented, everybody loves me, great ball player. He's got all the milers, and he looks at himself like there's a nobody and nothing. So I tell him, you know, you got to be honest, you got to be fair to yourself. I give him hopes. Okay. And Wednesday night, I get another guy. Rebbe, can we talk? Sure, come over. Okay. <clears throat> Rebbe, I don't know how to say this. I just feel like, like I'm so important. I feel I'm, I'm just so smart. I'm just like, I, I, I just, I feel arrogant. I look at the guy and say, oh my goodness. This guy's got no talent. He's not smart. Doesn't learn well. Not good looking. Doesn't play ball. Like what? All I got to do is swap brains. If I take the guy from Monday night, put his brain into the Wednesday night guy head, and take the guy from Wednesday night, put the Monday night, everything will be fine. But you see, no one gets it right. And no one gets it right because no one understands the tremendous greatness of a human being. And no one understands the tremendous opportunity that Hashem gave us. And no one understands that this crane that I operate is huge, mighty, and powerful. And at the same time, no arrogance is due to me, no honor is due to me. I'm but that little guy inside. And I think what this Dasa Kingdom is sharing with us is a fundamental concept. You see, a king can be treated with great, great honor, great honor, great honor, and it won't make him arrogant. But money is very dangerous. Why? Because money is different. Money is a sense of independence. It gives me a sense of I don't need anybody. And that is a very seductive sense, and that is very, very dangerous. And to understand how to work on this media, you have to understand the media itself. Arrogance is not recognizing my attributes. And that's called honesty. That's called self-awareness. If I have a talent and I recognize it, that's nothing to do with arrogance. That's called being alert, being attentive, recognizing the gift that Hashem gave me. Arrogance is that sense of because I have this gift, I'm important, I'm superior, I'm above you. And there's stages to it. <clears throat> that guy who became rich. So at first, I was a regular guy who had $125 million. I and the attribute was separate. There's no arrogance. <clears throat> but then I start getting comfortable with the idea of being a rich man. And a rich man is different. Suddenly, I and the attribute begin melding. And it can be wealth, and it can be talent, it can be anything. But once I start identifying as I'm the very intelligent person, I'm the very handsome person, I'm the very persuasive person, I'm in grave danger because I'm now at stage two. 
Stage three is where I say, you know something, because I'm a rich guy, I'm different than you. I'm worthy of honor and praise. I'm a very important person. I am very significant. And now not only do I identify with the trait, I become chashuv because of it. And the fourth stage of this pathology is where I don't even need the attribute. I'm such an important, mighty, weighty person in and of myself. It happens to be I'm rich, but that's not relevant. It's me. It's Muhammad Ali because boxing were nothing. Boxing just a way of introducing Muhammad Ali to the world. And that is the ultimate sense of arrogance. But each stage is a slow progression. When you understand where it comes from and understand how to attack it, it's really quite simple. All you have to recognize is that I was gifted with this. If you have a given talent, okay, wonderful. That's great that you have it. I didn't create the talent. I didn't make my face. I didn't make my voice. If I'm a super coordinated ball player, I didn't make my eye-hand coordination. I don't even know how to create the neural pathways to do that. As long as you remember that it's a gift. If you're feeling powerful and in control, just recognize it's not so simple. If you're not sure, go to an old age home. Go to an old age home and watch the man at 85 walking with a walker and ask him how powerful he is, how in control, and realize that I, too, will one day be there. Hopefully, hopefully I'll live that long. Hopefully I'll be at that point. And if fame and honor is your issue, okay, it's more difficult. But all you have to remember is one thing. People who were famous 50 years ago, I don't even know who they are. And Mr. Famous, Mr. Given Tremendous Honor, two years from now, they're going to forget you. Ten years from now, they won't know your name. And 50 years ago from now, forget about it. Money, however, is a bit more difficult because money gives you a sense of power, independence. And that's why the Torah says a king cannot have too much money because that's too difficult. If he has that much ashiras, that much wealth, it's very, very frightening, very scary. And therefore, the Torah says he can't have too much. And says Das came. That's why the Torah says Loyar below And again, in our day and age, this is a particular issue because all of us have talents, all of us have abilities, and all of us on some level have a dollar or two more than the guy next to us, and that is an issue. And the only way to really deal with this is to recognize this simple duality. And that is that I didn't create the world. I didn't make me, I didn't make money, I am but the little guy inside. Mishnah says, I'm obligated to say, Hashem would create the whole world for me. I'm way more Hashem than just a rich man. I'm so important. I'm so big. Believe me, Bill Gates cannot buy planet Earth. When Jeff Bezos goes in a rocket and goes beyond the Earth, it's very cute, very nice, but he can't buy the moon. But the Mishnah is saying, I'm supposed to look at myself and recognize that I'm far more important than that and far more important than any material price tag. Hashem would have created the world, the sun, the stars, the cosmos for me and me alone. And while I recognize that, I'm also supposed to remain humble because I recognize that I'm the little guy inside. Like Joe, that crane operator, the crane lifts very heavy loads all day long, but Joe's the little guy inside moving levers. I'm the little guy inside. The crane is huge. What it accomplishes is beyond description. But what honors do to me, nothing, because I'm the little guy inside operating the motions. And when you understand this, you have that very, very great gift called the balanced self-image, recognizing your importance, recognizing your talents, recognizing the great opportunity called life and what you can do, and at the same time remain, remaining humble as pie, because none of that credit is due to me. 
but it requires a lot of perspective, a lot of work, and a lot of understanding. And I'd like to close with one story. Rabbi Cheskel of Ramsky was a tremendous Tamachacham. He was born in Europe. The Chavetz Chaim knew of him. He learned in Vilna. In any case, he immigrated to London in 1932, and very quickly he was made the Av Beisden of the London Beisden. And he served in that role of the Rav of Machzik Yadas for many years. In any case, at a certain point, there were some unscrupulous people in London who began doing shechita that was not kalacha, and they were trying to really just water down all of the uh, all of the halachas. And the Beisdin sent them a notice that the shechita is not acceptable, please stop doing it, and they wouldn't listen. Finally, the Beisdin of London put out a decree that, that shechita is unacceptable, anything that comes out at slaughterhouse, you cannot eat. Now, these people were a little bit on the evil side, so what they did was they sued the Beisdin of London. They took the London Beisdin to court. And Rav Yecheskel of Ramsky was asked to testify for the, as the Av Beisdin to testify for the, uh, for the defense of London Beisdin. The attorney for the defense asks Rav Ramsky to take the stand, and the defense attorney begins the questioning. He says, uh, would you please state your name? My name is Yecheskel of Ramsky. Thank you. Rabbi Avramsky, is it true that you are the greatest living authority on Torah on the European continent? Yes, it's true. At which point the judge just stop. Wait a minute, Rabbi, one second. That doesn't sound very humble. And doesn't your Torah, your Bible say that you're obligated to, to be humble? That doesn't sound humble at all. Ramsky, without missing a beat, says, what can I do, Your Honor? I was, I'm under oath. That perception, he understood full well that he was the greatest living Torah authority on the European continent. He recognized that he understood it. And I'm under oath, I have to say it. And, but he remained humble as pie because recognizing my talents and recognizing my abilities, recognizing this great gift of being a human being doesn't make me arrogant, provided I recognize that it's all a gift from Hashem. I was put into this crane. The crane is mighty. I'm a little guy inside. And I can't deny my gifts. I can't not recognize my talents. At the same time, I can't take credit for what I haven't done. I didn't make the brain. I didn't make the head. I'm Joe, the little crane operator. I'm the guy inside who moves emotions, but this crane does great things. And that concept allows us to have a balanced self-image, understanding the greatness of human, and at the same time remain, remaining humble as pie. And now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. Um, if you have questions, please feel free. Uh, uh, Avram wrote something here. I want to I want to read this. Um, this explains how Moshe can write he is the biggest humble person in the world and not ruin that statement, right? Moshe man wrote the Torah, every word of the Torah, including the words, Vaish Moshe Mikol The man Moses is more humble than any person alive. That doesn't sound very humble. Well, it is very humble if it's accurate. If it's accurate and it's true, and there's no sense of arrogance in it, it's an accurate description, and he's not taking credit for it, not taking honor for it. That is where he is. Right, I agree. Um, Okay, um, okay. please feel free to raise your hand if you have questions, thoughts, observations. Um, it could be on this topic or others, but I think this topic really is actually very, very important. If, if you don't understand why this is very relevant and very important, please please let me know, because I'll explain to you why it is extraordinarily relevant. 
But let's start with Ronnie. Ronnie, you uh, you have the floor. Hi, Rabbi. Hi. Uh, so you said that I have to recognize that it's all from Hashem. Uh, but why right. did Hashem? Why did Hashem choose me? Out of all people, Hashem chose me to have this particular thing or particular talent. So what? Why me? Nobody else has it, but I do. So how do I? How do I combat that? Okay. So here's the question you have to ask yourself. You ready? Mm-hmm. Before you were born, what did you do to make it worthy that Hashem should create you? Right before you were born, what great thing did you do that Hashem said, oh, he's so great that I'm going to create him? Well, now the answer is before you were born, you didn't exist, so you couldn't have done anything. And when you get that concept, you recognize that my existence is a gift. Hashem did not create me because I'm worthy. Hashem didn't create me because I'm good. Hashem didn't create me because I did anything. Hashem created me for one reason, because Hashem's the native. Hashem's the giver. And Hashem gives us all opportunities and all great talents and all great abilities. And we're asked one question at the end of our days, with my talents, with my abilities, what did I do? How much of I did I become? One person's given this role to play. One person's given that role. All but actors in a stage called life. And each of us were given a different role to play. And when we've done our job here, they don't ask me, did I make more money than you? Were you more talented than I? They ask me, based on my talents, my abilities, how much of me did I become? The fact that you have a given talent, let's say you're very wealthy or you're rich or you're whatever it may be. You sing well, you have great eye-hand coordination. Whatever your talent is, that means Hashem gave you that opportunity to use, accomplish, to take with it, as accomplish with it as much as you can. And at the end of your days, you're not going to be greater than me because you had that talent. You'll be greater than me if you used it better than I used my talents. But the measure of the man is how much did you accomplish vis-a-vis your strengths, your abilities, how much of you did you become? Okay. Thank you, Abby. Okay. Good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, please feel free to raise your hand if you have questions. Um, uh, let me disable talking here. Um, if you're shy, you could type it in, but hopefully you won't be so shy, but please feel free. Um Okay, <laughs> if you wonder how powerful you are, ask a toddler to do something he doesn't want to. I said do it, I do it, do it. No, 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 no. And I don't care how much you're going to offer the toddler or how much you're going to threaten, the toddler said, no, I'm not doing it. And guess what? Big, mighty, powerful person, you, he's not doing it. You're right. There are a lot of ways to learn humility. By the way, I have a great Muslim exercise. Have you ever feeling hum- feeling a little arrogant? Here's, here's a real good one. Uh, <clears throat> take a little dive. You know, especially now it's a summer Go for a swim and hold your breath underwater for 10 minutes. Right? Just dive in and hold your breath underwater for, for 10 minutes. Okay. And what's going to happen after about 30 seconds? <laughs> I cannot exist without breathing. I can't last two minutes without air. I, the powerful me, invincible, mighty, cannot even exist if I'm not breathing every minute of my life. And when you think about that, you realize maybe I'm not so powerful, so mighty, so all invincible. And if that doesn't work for you, if it's the winter time, I got one for the winter also. Here's a real good one for the winter. And feeling a little arrogant, a little mighty powerful? Try this one on me. Go outside in February winter in a T-shirt. Just go outside in shorts and a T-shirt. And uh, hang out there for, let's say, 15, 20 minutes in the snow. And tell me, powerful. We say those words in Pesukah, in front of your cold, 
who can stand. Hashem, you blow snow like we described the might, the power of Hashem. If you think about the fragility of human life, and you think about how not mighty powerful I am, yeah, I have a very different perspective. Okay. Um, okay, now here's a very good question. How can I feel good for the work I do being the operator? That's a very valid question. And the answer is that even in the work that I do, there's no credit due to me. But and despite the fact that there's no credit due to me, Hashem gifts me with the outcome. And that means it's as follows. Let's say I was granted a, a particular talent, or, but let's say, hey, let's use money because it's easy enough. <clears throat> My $125 million. And I decide I'm going to donate a million dollars to open a yeshiva. Great. And the fact that I succeeded in that, I have to recognize is completely me'es Hashem. Why? And because if Hashem didn't feel it was right and proper, it would not have happened. And the fact that Hashem allowed it to happen means Hashem allowed that to be. Because I make choices, but every outcome is determined by Hashem. So I have to recognize that Hashem determined that that person should be given the money. This event should happen. This should be. Yet if I'm the one who does the action, I'm credited with the result as if I did it. I really did nothing. It was all Hashem. It was all predestined, predetermined. And I was put into this crane. I was given $125 million, And I was supposed to give the money there. And therefore, I had no, nothing to do with the outcome. Yet a special chesed Hashem, the outcomes are credited to me. It's as if I did it. So I should have a tremendous sense of accomplishment if I was granted this ability to be a human being, granted this ability to do things and accomplish things. And I'm credited with it, even though I have to recognize I really control nothing. I'm not the determinant of any outcome. Yet Hashem gifts me with those outcomes as if I did it. And it means if I learn, if I dominate, if I do chesed, whatever it may be, I have to also recognize how much a bracha it is from Hashem. Does that answer that question? Okay. Um, okay, here's a question. I feel I feel arrogant relative to the general person today because no one grows. But relevant to me, I'm always eating myself that I could do more and excessive guilt for slipping. Any advice on how to go about it? Okay. So you have this challenge of being a human being, and finding the balance self-esteem is a great challenge. What I mean by that is you should always set goals, you should always reach for more, and you should wake up every morning with a sense of, I'm not accomplishing anywhere near as much as I can. And yet at the same time, you also have to take stock of what you have accomplished, what you have done, and you have to be fair to yourself. Meaning to say, I could have learned much more. There's no question. This is I know. I spent many years in Yeshiva Baruch Hashem, many years in Kolo, and I know I could have learned much more. And even now, I could learn much more. Okay, that's true. But Lamaisa, I have learned this much, and I am learning. I could do much more, but I'm still doing. You see, both realities are true. I have to be fair to myself. I have to demand for myself more because I can do more. On the other hand, I also recognize what I have done. So if you find yourself that you're getting down and depressed, so then you're beating yourself up too much, you have to stay on the other side, and you have to start taking stock of what you have accomplished, what you do do, and what you really, as you say, compared to everyone else, you're, you're doing tremendous things. So dwell on that. Think about that. Take stock. And you're not going to become arrogant from that. And just think about the fact that Baruch Hashem, I learn, I daven, I give stuff, whatever it may be, and say to yourself, those are great things. You see, what people don't realize is we always talk to ourselves. The problem is rarely do we control the chatter in our brain. 
And the reason why so many people suffer is because the chatter in their brain just goes. And when you recognize that the chatter in your brain is something that you can control and that you have to control, you begin to take control of your moods, of your accomplishments. You begin to take control of your destiny, of your life. But you have to learn to take control of the chatter. The chatter means those thoughts that just churn out in your brain. Sometimes they're productive. Sometimes they're destructive. You have to be self-aware. You have to watch them. And if you find that they're getting you down, you have to reverse course. And you have to train yourself to think positive thoughts. Maybe in the beginning you have to write it down. Maybe you have to talk to yourself. But you have to train your brain to think the thoughts that you want them, You want your th- brain to think. Okay. <clears throat> Please feel free. If you have questions, thoughts, observations, to ask questions. I want to again mention that there are a number of um, schmoozes that deal with this topic. This topic of arrogance and and a balanced uh, arrogance and a dis- good proper self image is a very very difficult um, very difficult topic. There's a number of schmoozes that deal with schmooze number fifty eight is arrogance misdirected greatness of man. Schmooze number fifty nine humility and issue perspective. There's also an entire series. If you look on the schmooze dot com. You look on the top on the series, you'll see there's a series. I think it's H. Urim on arrogance, self-esteem, creative balance, sense of self. And again, that's available on the schmooze.com. It's available on the schmooze app. The schmooze app is for iPhone as well as for Android. It's also, I believe, on the schmooze podcast. The schmooze podcast has all the new material. I believe it should have the uh, has the older schmooze. Hopefully it has the series as well. I have to check. But in any case, if it's not there, again, you can just, just go to the schmooze app or the schmooze.com. Okay, I want to thank you all for joining again next week. We're going to be switching to Thursday night, and I believe we're going to be staying there. Uh, and so next week, Thursday night at 8 p.m., I hope to see you, and thank you. For- You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.